Hi there. Welcome to episode 33 of Snippets. I'm Dr. Anita Priya, resident of Shankar Netralaya. Today we have with us Dr. Ronnie George, senior consultant in the Department of Glaucoma, Shankar Netralaya, who has kindly agreed to talk to us about the management of glaucoma. Thank you so much for joining us, sir. Thank you Anita for asking me to participate. Just to start things off, sir, a really prudent point that arose in my mind was to discuss a patient who presents with no ocular symptoms but when we examine him there is an occludable angle and a normal intraocular pressure in your experience how do you suggest someone deals with this yes that's a very important question in india anita because we do have a lot of patients who have normal intraocular pressures and occludable angles we would today classify them as primary angle closure suspects so they would have an angle 180 degrees of the trabecular meshwork is not visible in dim lit conditions and these patients usually have a normal iop they don't have synechia they have a healthy optic disc and visual fields so this is a classic primary angle closure suspect and almost 8% of people in india will have this type of a problem so we don't advocate treatment for everybody because we know that some people do progress but it's we don't know who is going to progress so what we tend to do is we tend to think in terms of a yaglaser iridotomy in those people who have a confirmed history of an acute attack in the fedoi those people with a confirmed history of angle closure glaucoma in the family those people who require repeated pupillary dilatation and perhaps one eyed patients and a condition probably unique to india those people with poor access to care somebody who's from a far off village who may never see you again you may be safer just doing the laser iridotomy sometimes we deal with a challenging patient like a pregnant lady who presents to a clinic with a raised intraocular pressure but with no previous history of glaucoma in this situation how do you proceed to manage the patient so this is an unusual situation where you have a young lady obviously who comes to you with raised pressures and management will depend on the other clinical findings for example if you take a history and find that she's been on topical steroids for whatever reason either ocular or or topical or systemic then you could suspect that she's a steroid responder and you could try and stop that medication and see whether things settle down if she also has glaucomatous optic disc or visual field changes then we become a little bit more careful because there is already damage to the structural or functional part of vision so if it is purely an ocular hypertension where everything else is normal depending on the pressure level you could elect to watch or you could elect to treat the problem with treatment is since she is pregnant you are exposing the child to the small but real risk of you know congenital abnormalities which may be drug related so if possible if it is safe we would avoid treatment if it is unsafe then possibly we would try something like a selective laser trabeculoplasty where the patient is really not exposed to any medications as such and if that doesn't work then you could consider medications look at the medications the only medication which is a category b drug which means you could probably use it with some care in pregnancy is bromonidine you would consider starting with bromonidine and if that doesn't work then you have to think of the rest of the drugs which are category c and see whether you could use any of them in consultation with a gynecologist and after explaining the the risk of using these drugs in pregnancy as you know there are many ways of measuring intraocular pressure in your opinion what is the best way to do this as a glaucoma specialist probably the the best way of measuring intraocular pressure is with goldman ablation tonometry any patient who has a glaucoma suspect or has glaucoma or is on follow up glaucoma treatment should be measured on the goldman ablation tonometry 
How do we correct intraocular pressure value based on central corneal thickness measurement? This is a little difficult because while there are a number of formulae and there are a number of conversion charts available, which will tell you that the intraocular pressure is so much with this much of a central corneal thickness, this is the correction factor you apply. The fact is that none of them are absolutely correct. So most of the time what we do is we don't look at the absolute value of the intraocular pressure corrected with the CCT. What we do is we, we have a mental note as to whether the CCT is low, normal or thick. And if it is thick, we know that whatever pressure we are measuring is probably lower than what we are actually recording. And the converse is true for somebody with a low IOP. So there's no magic formula which is going to help us. But it's important to know the CCT because uh, it's useful for risk assessment. It would be really insightful if you could tell us how frequently we should review a patient who has suffered blunt trauma and present to us with angle recession and a normal intraocular pressure. If this is a fresh trauma that the person has just suffered and you're seeing the angle recession, if there are no other signs of raised intraocular pressure, then I would probably follow up the patient maybe after a month. If they're on topical steroids a little earlier, and then maybe after three months and six months. Because sometimes you risk of developing a traumatic glaucoma or an angle recession glaucoma as a bimodal peak. One is soon after the trauma and the second is later. So you need to watch them carefully soon after trauma and if that is okay, then probably once after a year or year and a half, you're not seeing any progression, then an annual evaluation should be adequate. But what's really important is that you educate them that just because nothing is happening now doesn't mean nothing will happen in the future because the risk of developing glaucoma can be as high as 30% in these eyes. Sometimes it is difficult to comment about the disc status in a myopic patient. How do we assess and deal with a disc suspect who has a myopic tilted disc and peripapillary atrophy? These are some of the most difficult discs to assess from a glaucoma point of view. And even for a specialist, it can be challenging. So what is important here that you look at the position of the central vessel trunk and you try and see along the long axis of the disc, whatever the tilt, what the rims look like. And those, you should not look vertically and horizontally, but along the long axis of the disc. Even then it can be challenging. And I think the best thing that you need to do is get an estimate for the disc size, do a careful disc examination, draw the disc, and if possible, take a photograph. Because there's nothing like a photograph which is going to tell you whether the disc is showing progressive damage or not. In your opinion, is optic disc imaging mandatory in following up patients with glaucoma or will Humphrey's visual field be sufficient? So whenever you are following up a patient with glaucoma, the more information you have, the better. So in an ideal world, yes, I would like to follow up everybody with optic disc imaging or RNFL imaging too, in addition to a visual field. But because of cost considerations and other reasons, we can't always do that. Keep in mind that early in disease, you are more likely to see a change on imaging than you are going to do on the visual field. While later in disease, once visual fields have developed, you're likely to see progression on the visual field rather than on imaging. So that will help you to decide which patients you might want to do rely more on the imaging and which patients you may want to rely more on fields. Also keep in mind that what is important to the patient is functional vision. A change on the optic disc, the RNFL does not impact their quality of life. But a change in a visual field definitely does. So if I'm Post to choose one, I would choose a visual field, but that doesn't mean that imaging is not important. When should one suspect congenital glaucoma as a cause of corneal edema or opacity in an infant? And how do we proceed when we encounter a similar case? So congenital glaucoma, you should have a high index of suspicion. If you see a child with uh, teary eyes, corneal edema, 
and which is associated with an increased uh, corneal diameters, then you're fairly sure that this is some form of congenital glaucoma. And if it is unilateral, it becomes easier because you have a control to look at and see how things are. But if it is bilateral and the corneal enlargement is subtle, you might sometimes miss it. But any child with a corneal opacity or edema should have a complete evaluation, preferably under anesthesia, because this is something which is a surgical disease which you cannot treat medically, and it needs to be tackled as soon as possible. So a high index of suspicion and a careful examination under anesthesia, preferably by a glaucoma specialist, is the best way. Thank you so much for sharing your insights with us, sir. It has been a real pleasure having you on Snippets. I am certain that your experience in council would be very beneficial to all our listeners. Thank you, Anita. To all those listening, thank you so much for joining us here today with Ronnie George, sir. I look forward to meeting you on another episode of Snippets.